This podcast is brought to you by Songfinch. Songfinch is a personalized gifting company that brings stories, feelings, and memory to life through one-of-a-kind songs. With personalized songs starting at $99 and delivered within seven days, their community of professional songwriters will handcraft the best gift. Jason, this will allow you to live on through the music. Your song lives on a personal URL called Your Story Homepage, where you can listen and download the song, read the lyrics, learn about your songwriter, and share your song. It's so easy. All you have to do is give them personal details about whomever or whatever the song is about. The more details you give them, the more heartwarming and unique your song will be. Also let them know what type of genre you're looking for. And within seven days, they'll put together the perfect song. For weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, Christmas, any occasion you can think of, or just to tell someone that you love them. Think about it. Everyone's gotten that same gift. I didn't know what to get them, so I got them a gift card. Or I didn't know what to get them, so I got them a sweater. Well, this will be so different. You're going to catch them so off guard. It will be a lasting memory that, well, I guess the downside is you'll never be able to top that. So if you want to hear more, go to their website, songfinch.com, and check out some of the songs they have already created. The best part about this, you can get $20 off your personalized song from scratch by going to songfinch.com and using the promo code CLATCHERS. That's songfinch.com. Use promo code CLATCHERS. Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? It's us or them. It can't be Clash Podcast. Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online to discuss episode 8, Kiksuya. Directed by Yuta Brysowitz and written by Carly Ray and Dan Dietz. IMDb is giving this a 9.5 and Rotten Tomatoes a 93%. The tagline for this episode is, remember what was taken, which is fitting because Kiksuya in Lakota means remember. And we'll see this episode is about the telling of Akichida and Ghost Nation's journey to consciousness while Maeve's life hangs in the balance. I thought this was an excellent episode. It was so clear to follow most of this taking place in the past through this story that we're getting from Akichida. Again, with the bookends, beginning and end of the episode in the present, but not in a confusing time jump kind of way. Also, unlike the Shogun episode that seemed more self-contained, this extended to explain so many things throughout the whole story and going back to the beginning of our timeline. Perhaps most important for me, though, it really felt like the first time I was emotionally connecting to a host. I've had moments with Maeve or even Dolores, but this went beyond that. And I was wondering to myself, is it just because it's such an impactful love story to reach Kohana through all bounds, physical, social, memory, even death? Or is it because she also remembers and connects to him? So that made me think about how important are our memories to our consciousness, to who we are. And Lisa Joy actually said about this episode, we're not just going to see the fight, but the reasons we fight. And that primarily is for the people we love. Absolutely. Something we have seen since episode one, season one, is that love is the strongest impulse or memory that these hosts have. Following directly after that, revenge. But just like a lot of shows, 
love seems to be the underlining arc. I mean, Harry Potter was saved by love. There's so many movies and shows that we could bring up. And most of our woke characters have, in some way, experienced love. Love and loss, love Love and and suffering, right? This was the cornerstone they built into them, but also the reason for most of them coming awake, Dolores' love for her father, May for her daughter, and now Akichita for Kohana. I personally loved this episode. It's probably my favorite out of both seasons. And I had a feeling that was going to be the case. One, I knew they'd be a little more linear, and they were a lot more linear. Not that I don't enjoy when we have some back and forths. It does make it interesting. But when it's every week, it can get a little bit like you're getting beat in the head. (laughs) But also, Zahn McLaren, who plays Akichita, did it so beautifully. If the actor playing Akichita was bad, this episode would not be even a quarter Oh, it would have fell apart. His acting, the way he's able to give us so much information just based off the face, just based off his frozen face, which we'll look into later, and the way he speaks to the child, and the way he speaks to Maeve, and then the way he speaks to Kuana, and on and on and on. It was just very beautifully done. But that compounded with the fact that we get this beautiful twist. So essentially from season one, we have 18 hours of Westworld, where we've only been hinted at Ghost Nation. We've been given little seeds of information. They look so evil and mean in season one. The reason for Maeve's pain. And then in season two, you and I started saying, I don't know if they're really bad. I think there's another story behind this. And we tried to hypothesize. You know, we had some clatchers saying maybe they're humans and they're actually working for Ford to help the guests or maybe this, maybe that. I think we were pretty close, us and the clatchers, on exactly what it was. So having that information being kept from us for so long and then divulging it in this manner made it that much more impactful. And then compound that with the twist that everything that you've been seeing going on, all of the awakening is because of Akichira. Well, I want to talk about that and we will dive into it more later. I think that he was a big part of it and clearly one of the earliest woke hosts clearly one who is doing the most to spread that to other hosts. But I went back and looked at the timeline because I was thinking to myself, where does Dolores fall in all of this? Was she awake before, during, or after Akichita? It's still a little bit fuzzy. I do think right around that time is also when Dolores was starting to experience that. I do think that Ford, as much as he seems a little surprised in the visit that he gets from Akichita, had something going on, and we'll break down his words and what that could mean. See, I don't see that. I don't believe it's the same time, because when Dolores was Wyatt in that main storyline, when Arnold had himself killed, she was not awake. She was completely under his control. Arnold thought, prior to his death, based pretty much solely on Dolores, that there was something different about her, that she could be coming to this consciousness. That's why... He was kind of arguing with Ford about that and in the demonstration that they put on for Logan, which was one of the earliest things we've seen for this show, he was already kind of thinking that about Dolores. Then in the scenes before he has her kill him, he's got the maze toy already, which Akicha defines in the bar when he comes. So she was just setting off on that journey. Like, I wonder if they were both just setting off right around the same time, but in two different sections of the park, which also brings me to the big idea that maybe it really was Arnold 
behind all of this. It's all of these older models. We see that Akichiro was an alpha two all of this time. He was the one that brought up the idea of the maze. Like how much of this really was Arnold starting them off? And I don't know when Ford picked up with it. He certainly was aware shortly thereafter. But I think we're finally getting to the heart of some of those really big questions. How was this all formed and who began it? How did it spread? It's very exciting. Also, I want to come back to the point that you were saying that this was all a story that Akichida was sharing with Maeve. I think some people got a little bit confused on that, so I want to clarify. We don't find out officially till the end of the episode that the entire time Maeve has been there in the Mesa being worked on, where she looks almost glazed over, she's not unconscious, She's not really there. She doesn't quite look frozen in the way we know hosts have. We find out later that's because she's kind of tapping in with Akichida. And while he seems to be sharing this story with Maeve's daughter, he's actually talking directly to Maeve to share it with her, presumably utilizing the mesh network, although we'll get to that as well. And somebody else brought up a good point of how we might be able to recognize that. It seems when he starts off talking to the daughter, that's when he's speaking in English. He very quickly switches over to Lakota, and that's when he's speaking straight to Maeve. I love the fact that he's just as woke as Maeve. He's able to know when it's her. She didn't have to say it's Maeve or whatever. He picked it up and just continued explaining his background, his backstory. And that's another twist that I didn't see right at the end when we realize that Maeve is there as the child and Akichita is the one talking to her, that was amazing. We've been talking a lot about how it seems there are different levels of being awake, different stages that the hosts have reached. So to me, this kind of felt like the first time we were seeing two fully awake hosts engaging in a deep conversation about the events of Westworld. And I think that Vulture put it so beautifully, I'm gonna quote them, I can't possibly say it better, They said this episode was about the weapon of memory, the refusal to stay in our lanes, and the peaceful gathering to bring people into a better world, all by sharing their stories with each other. With the climactic understanding of what's been happening between Maeve and Akichida, we learn this whole story has effectively been a promise to take care of her daughter and find the door before the Deathbringer comes to end them all. And also something to think about the tags that they give in this episode, they refer to Dolores as the Deathbringer and to Arnold as the creator. Hmm. So it brings up some of those age-old questions about what really were the intentions between the two and how much of this was Ford's plan versus something he sort of learned about along the way. What threw me off is in my research, I saw a lot of videos and blogs speaking to the point that Maeve was speaking through Akichita at the end. And I I was like, no way, they're way off. When I'm thinking something so differently, I feel like my first initial thought is I must be wrong. So I had to watch that scene, the scenes with Akichita and Maeve's daughter. She doesn't have a name, by the way. I I triple checked. It's so obvious, especially after watching the whole thing the first time, that Akichita is speaking to Maeve through the daughter. And if it was Maeve speaking through Akichita, it wouldn't be half as impactful. No, and I I think maybe the inclination to say that is because we have been seeing Maeve control so many other hosts through the Mesh Network using that. But it's obvious only in hindsight, at least to me, when I go back and see some of the things and we'll pull them out as we go through the plot, 
that he was saying, even right in the very beginning of the conversation, I know that you remember the previous lives that you've lived, things that really he would only be saying to her. But I think that's the beauty of the great storytelling, is that even if something was kind of pinging in my mind, it really didn't click for me until later on. For sure. I I wasn't saying it was obvious that he was talking to Maeve the first time watching Mm -hmm. it. I'm saying it's obvious that Akichita wasn't being controlled by Maeve. No. I don't think Maeve, I think it's been proven that Maeve cannot control other hosts that are awake. Right. So there's a lot to divulge with Akichita, a lot of things that we figured out, but I think we should save that for the plot because I could keep going. (laughs) (laughs) It's really easy to get ahead of ourselves. Let's mention a few notes for music. Horse Have Heard, Heart Shaped Box. Loved it. By Nirvana, (laughs) Juwadi's version that played as he went down to cold storage. It's a better version. It's beautiful. Yeah. Another less obvious one, what does this mean, was playing during the flashback where the other man from the tribe asked Akichita what the maze symbol meant right before he carved it onto his scalp. And we also got the Reverie song making a reappearance. And that was playing as Akichita discovered the first massacre in Escalante where Arnold was killed. And so I know Reverie is being used as an indicator throughout the entire series to show us moments like that, whether that's the beginning of an awakening for a host or whatever it might be. It's not a callback to the CKC podcast. (laughs) It's a Reverie ratings. Maybe that too. For New Faces and Places, we talked about the big one, Akichita, played by Zahn McLaren, who is the leader of the Ghost Nation tribe. Zahn actually said in an interview that Akichita means warrior or strong soldier in Lakota. Then we had Koana, played by Julia Jones, who was his love. Wachapi, played by Irene Bedard. She was an elder member of the tribe that we'll see later on. Maeve's daughter, played by Jasmine Ray, as you said, does not have an official name on the HBO site, IMDb. I know a lot of people are referring to her as Anna. That got started a couple episodes ago when Maeve went to the homestead and the daughter was telling her this story about the dolls and one was the mother doll and one was the daughter doll. She was referring to the daughter as Anna. I don't know if we can necessarily extrapolate it would make sense that that's her and so that's what she's calling her, but it could just be a name she gave her. I think I want to wait until we're positive to start calling her that. Me too. Uh, I'm remiss to say this because I'm really not sure, but for Westworld to hide a name for this long, for a character that, you know, she's not a main character, but she's very important to the Mm -hmm. storyline, means to me that her name must mean something. Yeah, something's going on there. Yeah, and if they divulge it too early, it might throw in some answers that they don't want us to know yet, maybe? Yeah, kind of like how they were calling Emily Grace when we first met her in the Raj and didn't switch to Emily until we found out what her true identity was. And I don't know how much we can really trust IMDb either because they're still listing her as Grace, Hmm. even as HBO has gone on to officially call her Emily now. Well, if you're not caught up. I guess so. I don't know. Well, and finally, we got Roland, another Westworld tech. He is the not-so-nice one that will be working on Maeve. Let's jump into our plot. As we said, we bookend this with present scenes in the current timeline. We start out with the man in black desperately clinging to life as he crawls towards the river. Giving himself a little pep talk, 
He says, don't you fucking do it. You're not dying here. Not yet. This is where Akichita finds him. The man in black confesses he doesn't know Lakota. Akichita says he remembers him and drags him back to the Ghost Nation campsite where we see Maeve's daughter sitting and watching on. When the man in black wonders why he didn't just let him die, Akichita says, death is a passage from this brutal world. You don't deserve the exit. That's brief, but it brought up a lot of questions for me. Obviously, number one, how did the man in black not die? Even up through this scene, he's kind of just being thrown up against a tree. Nobody's giving him any medical (laughs) attention. You have to assume it's been a while now. Yeah, in the heat. They don't want him to die because they want him to suffer, and yet they're not treating him. You know, we can get more into that later when we come back to the man in black and... Later on in the episode, we'll save it towards the end, some of our tinfoil hat theory ideas and what's been floating around there on the internet. I also think it's kind of key for the many times that he's visited the park and as much as he knows, he doesn't know Lakota at all. Even his daughter knows that. We're also going to see in a moment, and we believe in the very beginning, Akichita is still talking to Maeve's daughter as herself when he asks her if she's afraid of him. She doesn't respond, but she kind of looks at the man in black as though that's who she's truly afraid of. And whether that's the daughter or Maeve, it makes total sense that he really is the villain of their story. Absolutely, especially knowing now what we do, that Akichita was the one that was trying to protect Maeve's daughter. And he has seen the man in black kill them both, really. So it's an enemy for both of them. And it was very painful for Akichido to see that happen. And he couldn't do anything about it. You can't harm a human. Yeah. (laughs) I got to say, for as many things that I love about him and he did right, those messages he was giving to the daughter... Oh, so wrong. ...was not a way to endear himself that they would trust him. Here's a bloody symbol for you to take back to your mom, but it's okay. You're safe. We're looking out for you. So yeah, we'll see in the next scene... Maeve has a flashback. Every time we kind of go back to Maeve, it opens up with these flashbacks to her old life on the homestead with her daughter. They're having a tea party with dolls. This is when Maeve finds the rock with the symbol of the maze on it. What's this? The ghost gave it to me. He said it's a warning. He said it'll be watching us. Out of context, it sounds very mean. Scary. One, kids are dumb. Like, seriously, the way you're saying it, you're you're just scaring your mom. Knowing the way that Akichita actually speaks to her, I'm viewing him telling her that in a completely different manner than the way she's portraying it. If only she said to her mom, the ghost gave me this. He was letting me know that this symbol is a warning. Not a warning for him, but a warning for something greater. You know, and, and then just he's trying it. to help us. Yeah, well, he's trying to help us. Yeah. Who knows if she fully really understood it at that time? Because this is the very beginning of their relationship with sure. each other. We think. Remember, it was restarted every time with the daughter and me. Not with Akichita, but it was restarted with them. So it was the beginning again. We see that he has warned them many times. Later on in the flashback that we always got with Maeve in season one. We now got to see her open the door and there is the big maze in the front of the house. He's trying to wake them up, just like he was waking up everyone else. Yeah, in the HBO synopsis, there was also an indicator that he would leave those marks, such as he did in front of their house, to notify the rest of his tribe not to hurt them as well. So there's a point where a faction of that tribe 
was programmed to be very aggressive, to go after people. And that might have included them, but he was warning them off. You know, they're, they're under my protection. But unfortunately, as he's going to say later, there were many misunderstandings. So now we go over to the Mesa, where Lee wheels Maeve on a gurney into a lab, telling her to hang on. There he finds the tech Roland and insists that he help Maeve. Roland says they are overwhelmed. There are 50 hosts there for analysis and no room. He should bring her to cold storage. Lee insists that she's different. She can control other hosts with her mind. They can't let her die. So finally, Roland checks her data stream and sets to work on her. I could see where it might look on the outside like Lee is just protecting the asset still. But this is what he has to tell Roland, right, in order to get him to pay attention to Maeve and work on saving her. Yeah, for a few episodes now, we've been saying we think that Lee is leaning more towards Maeve's side. And he did mess up a little bit not on purpose when he called for help and he does recognize that he did screw up. I believe, and I'm jumping ahead here, but I believe within the next two episodes, we're going to see Lee do what he's meant to, which is get Maeve out of there Mm -hmm. alive. Yeah, he's getting very emotional about it, even in this scene with her. He's trying not to. Yeah, Sean in St. Louis says he has the feeling next week will be Lee's breakout performance. And I think it has to be the way we end off this episode with Maeve. If she's not going to die, which hopefully it doesn't seem like she will, he's going to have to help her out. Now the red flags have really gone up, right? Delos is going to be onto her now that they know she is the only one with admin access. Charlotte Hale finds that out at the end of the episode and you know they're going to want to control that asset. Yeah, you can picture her as the new Abernathy. This is now the host that they need to keep a hold of. Absolutely. So back at the ghost station camp, Akichita starts telling this story to the daughter. He says, you can remember all the things you've seen, can't you? All the lives we've lived, so can I. And I think that's when he first starts kind of switching to talking to Maeve. And here we dive into the story itself. And this is when I was starting to think our thoughts were correct. The way he was speaking to her, it was so warming and safe. I was like, all right, yeah, there's definitely more to this character and we are going to end up liking him. Mm -hmm. How much more? We did not know at this point, but wow. Well, we find out early on that he led a very different life. He tells her he had a peaceful home on the plains with his family and his love, Koana. He said, we were all one and the same. I couldn't have imagined a life without them until I found something that changed all of our lives. He was the first to discover the massacre in Escalante 35 years ago. He walked through. He saw Arnold had been killed, all the dead bodies on the ground, until he came to the bar where he found Arnold's maze toy. When he picked it up to inspect, I'm sure you all noticed that a fly walked across his hand. We've been saying that's one of the indications or visual indications that someone's about to be woke Mm -hmm. or begin to be woke. Now, he's saying all of this in Lakota. And I didn't realize how beautiful this language is, especially the way he's speaking it. Yeah, well, I think he's just a good narrator as well. The way he talks is kind of calming. After he sees the maze, he becomes obsessed with the symbol. When he goes back to his camp, one of the women discovers a maze carved into a scalp. Actually, I don't think it was a scalp because they weren't scalping then. It was just meat. It was their Or a meat. hide. Was yeah. that a hide? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, another man thinks that he's losing his mind because he's marking the symbol everywhere. You know, we see him just drawing it on anything he can. And he explains, I heard a new voice inside. Before I understood it, they took everything from me. And that was the first time I lost her. Watching him walk through this massacre, that season one was so important. 
where we didn't get the full scene till the end, and now he's walking through it. How did you feel about that? Did you enjoy it as much as I did? Yeah, well, it felt like he was always right on the outskirts of where the action was happening, which allowed him to view the secrets that really he shouldn't have been seeing and come to this awakening without anyone else noticing. We're going to talk about that later. Nine years is a long time. Ten. Well, they said almost a decade. Yeah, it's a long time for him to be able to kind of fly under the radar, for them to not realize that he had gone off the grid with Kohana, for him to manage to not die. I mean... We do get that big revelation there that the hosts were not updated unless they died, which seems like a serious oversight. Initially, it felt like, how is all of this happening? You know, it almost felt like Akichita had superpowers. People just weren't on to him. But it does make sense later when you think about it. And man, can you imagine just being this person that has all of this knowledge, you're seeing things that you don't understand that are horribly unfamiliar and nobody believes you. The minute you go back, the person you love is gone and then the revelation that you saw is gone. How do you not start to think that you're crazy? So the storyline that you're just talking about combined with the visual narration of this episode is what really made people feel so much. That scene alone, visual narration wise, they show us first the church And that church means so much to us visually now. They've put it in our heads to a point, like Pavlov's dog. We see that church, they already know the emotional response all of the viewers are going to have. And then as he's walking through there, and the massacre is already completed, and we see all the dead bodies, then we see Arnold's body there, which means that much more to us now. And then we see Dolores' body there, which again means that much more to us now. And via Twitter, one of our clatchers, Chris, wrote to us and said, at CKC Podcast. Ah, so Akechira is the wolf we see when we as the audience witness the massacres. I love that. I love that so much. I think a thousand percent. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. Every time we saw that scene in season one, there'd be that wolf that would walk through after the massacre. And we saw the wolf many times outside the Mariposa. And I believe that's the time when he walked through desperate to find his loved one. And that's when he gets, you know, he walked through enemy land Mm -hmm. and that's where he gets beat up and almost killed that was the wolf right Mm -hmm. there so symbolism uh we're not saying that everyone saw him as a wolf it's what us as viewers were allowed to see at that point which is such a clever way it's beautiful storytelling i love when you get a payoff this episode was full of so many payoffs that one and the many other ones that we're going to be mentioning that's something that last season of the magicians we saw happening we were ready for the payoff, and they dropped the ball on. The story continues to Akichita being reprogrammed in the lab. The text brought him in. We can see them working on him and a bunch of other Ghost Nation hosts, saying their peaceful pastoral existence was only for, for beta. beta. They want something more exciting for the grand opening. Like a little more bloodshed? Ford wants a total narrative redesign. Are you kidding? All new dialogue trees? Eh, they want a strong but silent type. Something brutal, dehumanized. They probably want the guests to feel better when they're kicking his ass. Who the fuck is going to help me rebuild his entire heuristic base? They haven't even hired a full team yet. Just tweak his aggression and de-address pieces of his current build you're not keeping. And leave all the old shit in there? So again, a lot of little pieces of information sewn in there. The entire time we see Akechita with his original tribe living this peaceful existence was during the time before they opened the park to the public. And we've heard Ford talk about that before. I think he said it was a year 
that they were running the beta tests with him and Arnold there before they started bringing guests in. This was like a trial run. And again, I think maybe those initial narratives and designs were too soft, were Arnold's. Yeah. You know, and they weren't exciting, quote unquote. I mean, I don't want to put it that way, but this is how they were going to be viewed by the guests coming in. And so it was Ford who had to come in and redesign the narratives to make it better for the guest experience before the grand opening. And of course, right before they were able to open is when Arnold was killed. I think it was a clash that him and Arnold had many times. Arnold making it a little soft, more beautiful. It was the beauty of it. And Ford was more about the narration of the brutality of it. And he, I mean, let's be honest, you and I would sway more towards Arnold's view. Mm -hmm. But as a businessman, the brutality is what was going to sell. And also the brutality was what they needed in this, now we know, new partnership with Delos in order to get the information from these humans. How will they act? Yes. And I believe Ford knew that that's what they needed to do to make the partnership work. But again, I have to wonder if that was all, because while we don't know for sure yet, it doesn't seem like Ford is a straight evil man. He's not just a bad man or a businessman. So did he already know at this point, was he coming to believe Arnold? Or even after Arnold died, was he coming to see that he was right about the host gaining consciousness? Because we know once he latches onto that theory, that's when he starts saying they need to be tougher. They need to be stronger. They need to suffer. Their new narratives need to allow them to be able to fight back. And we already see it here that he's pre-programming the Ghost Nation to be warriors. Now he's saying it's because, oh, guests will feel better about kicking his ass if he's acting like a bad guy. But how much was that in the back of his head? Well, that's something that we are very intrigued about, but that's something that is a big hole right now. And we really, really would love to see some scenes. I don't think it's going to happen this season, but some scenes with Ford and Delos. And how are they reacting as when they're both younger? Well, Delos was already older, but when Ford was younger during this whole thing, what is their relationship? And I think that would divulge a lot of that information. I also wonder if Ford was kind of keeping tabs on Akichita earlier on than we thought because he's able to hold on to his memories here even after he's reprogrammed, Mm. which you wouldn't think they would allow him to keep any of those beta memories. Well, this crew seemed very lackadaisical. And I think (laughs) a lot of this is the... A lot of the problems that they've had is the culmination of a lot of cutting corners from humans. And this happens with a lot of businesses. I've seen it happen in my office. Or just human error, dumb humans. Yeah. (laughs) They didn't have enough time. Ford wanted a new narrative right away. Had to, to open the park. So instead of wiping and redoing these builds software-wise, they would just de-address his memories and certain key factors of that old host. But that means it's still there. there floating around. Exactly. Yeah. And they did that, I believe, with almost all the hosts. And that's why they're able to remember. Well, and then on top of that, we know that Arnold had been putting in these reveries, which would allow them to access the old memories, to pull them up, you know, and again, so it, Ford must have known that and was allowing that to happen in certain cases. So we'll continue to look at that as we go on. Let's come back here. Akichita says, they destroyed the man I was, but then I was reborn. And this time I came out breathing fire. He was turned into a leader, but unconsciously forced against his will to leave his old tribe. They ravaged their enemies, he says, without fear. They ruled the land. 
seeking new foes to conquer. And it's interesting, again, back to this interview with Lisa Joy, she said with that wisdom that he gained in sort of Promethean fashion came exile. Oh, yeah. I like that. And, you know, he was cast out, forced away from his family. He also explains that from the beginning, he felt the presence of others, lives he was forbidden from taking, the guests or the newcomers, as he calls them. So this is another example Without anyone telling him and without any memories to prompt it, he's sort of pulled out towards the edges of the park, right? He starts to kind of ride out there continuously across that desert. And this one time when he goes, he finds Logan naked and tied against the tree. I did not see this coming. Well, we were wondering since the end of last season, whatever happened to Logan when William slapped the horse and Logan was naked and the horse just took off? How did he get back? Mm-hmm. Where did he go? And now we know. <laughs> yeah, and man, he's delusional from the sun. This is, is, is an illusion. See, this is all broken. There's, there's, there's got to be a way out, out of here. Where's, where's, where's the door? Where, where's, where's the door? Fucking way out of here. This is the wrong... This is the wrong world. And so that's not when he first comes upon him and he's stammering, talking nonsense. He, he kind of clears, and then he says that to him. Kind of clears. Kind of. So Akitada does chalk that up to him being mad from the sun. But it planted a seed, a virus. But how mad was it? I mean, you could say the door is just the way out. You know, he's saying there's got to be an exit somewhere. Nobody's coming for me. How is this possible? By the way, how is no one coming for him? I understand he was going towards the outskirts, the more dangerous part of the park, but he's Logan. He's James Delos's son. After a certain period of time, and we have to think he was out there at least a day, probably not a lot longer than that, or he might have died, but between the sunburn and the way he's raving, how does that happen to Delos's own son out there? I, that I don't know. There's got to be a reason. We've seen a lot of things like that. How did the Kichita not get noticed for nine years or 10 years, you know? Even that, though, we kind of have some things that might add up to explain it. Well, yeah, he hasn't died. But if I was part of this department that is in charge of software updates, you're not waiting for hosts to just die for you to pay attention to them. You must have, especially with these computers a way of knowing what's been updated, what hasn't. When was the last time that we pinged this particular host? Where is this host? Uh, Something always constantly checking, which we thought they did. That's true, but they're saying definitively here they don't. They don't update them until they die. Now, keep tabs on them and watch what's going on, perhaps. We know that changing-wise, there's not as much of a need as we thought because... They were, in fact, trying to keep the hosts on a very stable loop. They weren't investigating the hosts, right? We found that out last time. They were looking at the humans. You could also say this narrative wasn't as important to them. They weren't paying as much attention to what was going on with Ghost Nation. Well, it kind of makes sense because they were in the outskirts. Mm -hmm. So they had less interaction with humans, which means less data to compile. Mm -hmm. If everything starts and most of the time stays in Sweetwater. This is where most of the human interaction is. You're going to get most of the data there. You're probably paying the most attention there. 
We've also seen, though, that it does kind of feel like the further out they go, is there a kind of blind spot or a place where if it was Wi-Fi, you start to lose the signal a little as you get to the edges of the park? Maybe that explains about Akichita, about Logan not being found sooner. Um, But the other thing he says, this is the wrong world. What the hell does that mean? Either he's completely nuts or he was onto something. He was completely nuts. He was sun damaged. He was going into delusional territories. The wrong world for him to die in. The wrong world for him to be in at this moment. But he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, I can't die here. He doesn't say, take me back home or to the real world. He says, it's the wrong world. Which is very odd phrasing. And we know that at the retirement party later on, he is going to start kind of ranting and saying things that maybe don't make a lot of sense, but we know is true when he's talking about it's going to be the downfall of the human species and they don't know what they're doing. So I wonder if he did kind of discover he's very close to the site and it's not there yet, the valley beyond, but if he kind of found something out about what their plans were or what they were planning to do there. But that's the last of what we're going to see of Logan for now, hopefully not forever. Akichita gives him a blanket and tells him his kind will come for him. And then he returns to his old home where the tribe is trading goods. He realizes he's been there before and he remembers Kohana, but none of them recognize him. He says, with each passing day, my sense grew stronger. I had lived another life before this one. The past was calling to me and I couldn't rest until I knew how to reach it. He's plagued by these memories and thus he returns to the outskirts to try to find Logan, but Logan's gone. And that's when he rides further on and he comes upon the construction site. Here is the valley beyond. He says, I found a passage to another world, a door. This door, even if it was still open when he got back there, it's not really easily accessible. I mean, right now, if you look at the freeze frame, it just sort of looks like a giant hole in the ground. (laughs) And there is that big door. And I know that we've heard the term or the words door, both metaphorically and physically. And I think that's on purpose to trip us up. And that's why we haven't tried to divulge too much of what this Valley Beyond could actually be, because we don't have enough information. And really, we'd just be guessing. Right now, all you can see is a couple of structures at the top, and then these sort of pipes that go all the way down. Yeah. And in front of the door, there's a lot of, uh, I don't know what they are, these things sticking up as well big, huge spikes. Uh, So how this would free them? Is it a door to the outside? Okay. Uh, Is it a door? How is it a weapon? Which we've heard the man in black state. We don't know yet. Our best guess and something that a lot of people on the internet and podcasts have conjectured is it's another sort of cradle, but instead of for the host's minds and backups, it's storing human consciousnesses It's preparing for the human host transfers, perhaps. We know that they were gathering data on all the humans to come into the park, and that was really the main point of experimentation, trying to map or code the human mind. Yet we don't really see any of that happening at the Mesa. So it does feel like we had said they'd have another location or facility where they stored that. If that's what the humans are depending upon, surely it could be a weapon. If taken down, that destroys their chance at immortality. Now, how that equates to a door for the hosts to literally or metaphorically get out of there, get to this other world, I have no idea. 
Later that night, Akichida sneaks into his old home, into Kohana's tent. He was determined to leave, but never without her, so he steals her (laughs) and takes her to a stream where he washes off his war paint. He unties her and tries to explain. At his words, the ones they used to say to each other, take my heart where you go, she responds, take mine in its place. He tells her this world is not where they belong and he's found a way out. However, when they return to the construction site, it has already been filled in. He said, the door was hidden from me now, but I knew together we could find it again. So these scenes were actually, they could have been boring, but they were really well acted and there was so much meaning behind them. At first, I was like, what is Akichita doing? He's just going to piss her off and make her hate him. But once he lets her go and puts her hand on his heart and says those key words, it seems with these hosts, there's always key words that will relink those memories that are the humans just left in there. Yeah, pull them back up. <laughs> yeah. And from that point on, they were a team. And it was believable. I could see it in her face. I could see it in his face. It was so quick with her. I wondered why, if it was the intensity of their bond, the fact that they had said those exact words so many times, something allowed her to get to that point more quickly. And I suppose because of their bond, she was very trusting of him. Even if you start to remember you've had a relationship with this person and she will later say she remembered that she loved him, the concept of what he's telling her is a little insane. And he brings her back out into the middle of the desert only to see that nothing is there. And yet she continues to follow him. They just begin living out there together, away from all of these narratives going on and trying to find the truth. Now, finding the truth and protecting what's important is actually part of his narrative. That is one of his strengths that Ford gave him. So even as we're saying he's super woke, I'm not forgetting what we've said in the past episodes where even when they feel like they are extremely woke, they're still following some kind of guidelines. But I'm not as cemented in that with Akichira, especially after we see Ford interacting with him and noticing that Ford had no idea these things were going on. Yeah, well, to kind of solidify that, he said his initial purpose, what was built into him, that drive, was to protect his family, protect his tribe. It was he himself who kind of rewrote that and said, my new purpose is to find the truth. So that's an even bigger step than what we've seen with any of the hosts. He was actually able to almost reprogram himself to say, I have a new purpose. This is more important. And in fact, he is positive that once on the other side, it's a place their memories will be safe. They can no longer keep taking this from them. Well, this is very reminiscent of humans and the afterlife Hmm. because he has no evidence, not even... What Logan said to him even portrays that. It's just pure faith. Something has to be better after this. And we could go on a whole rant about humans, but it's something to think about. Correlate it with how we feel, or a lot of us feel, that uh, there's got to be something better when we die. Mm-hmm. Either heaven or, or something better, where we don't feel pain, where we don't, you know, all those things. Yeah, it's just, it's so specific, you know, to his memories to what he thinks he will be able to protect if they reach this. I I wonder, like we said before, when he felt this calling to sort of go to the outskirts and investigate, if he feels that sort of tug now too, there's this subconscious idea leading him forward. Unfortunately, before they can get any further, Kawana is discovered by QA and they take her back to the Mesa, wondering how she got this far out in the first place. Hence the tagline for this episode, remember what they've taken. Mm -hmm. 
In fact, he says he goes back to the village, hoping they'd sent her home, only to find another woman in her place. They took her from me again. I saw through their lies. I knew I would find her, but first I had to face the journey before me. You know the journey I mean. Another key phrase to tell us he's speaking to Maeve. She had to go through that same suffering in order to try to get her loved one back. Which tells me that he knows more than we know, meaning he must have some kind of influence in the mesh network as well. Because how would he know what she's gone through? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, if as a woke host, she could access that, presumably he could too. And this journey is truly incredible. He says for years he searched, going through these distant territories. We mentioned dangerous towns where he was just an easy target, fighting to stay alive. It's so powerful. He says he feared if he died, he would lose even the memories of her. That was all he had left. And they could take that just as easily as well. So he managed to stay alive. One day, nearly killed, dying of thirst, Maeve's daughter discovered him and brought him a drink of water. He says, on my darkest day, you helped me. You gave me the strength to keep going. You saw me for who I really was. From that point on, he had tried to keep both Maeve and her daughter safe. Which is exactly what we were saying. There's something. I know that it looks like they're coming in to take them, but there's got to be something behind that. There's got to be a reason. And now we know why. I think there's also some other metaphorical piece there because we do believe he's talking to Maeve at this point. So he said, you saw me for who I really was. And we see the daughter bringing him a drink of water. But if he's talking to Maeve, perhaps there was an interaction between them as well. And I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but the reason why he was going out there to try to speak to the daughter and to Maeve is later on, we start to find out he's trying to spread the word, the word of the truth. And he wants them to be aware as well, just like his whole tribe is woke. Which is perhaps the most unselfish and effective way we've seen any of the hosts try to spread that knowledge. We see Dolores doing it in a very dark way that is really just promoting the agenda of the revolution, not necessarily awakening other hosts for the pure fact of it. Maeve is kind of trying to do that in a helpful way, but her primary purpose is really still just to get back to her daughter. Akichita, and we we do say that drive was in him to protect his tribe, but it seems a lot of his moves throughout this episode are going to be much more unselfish. And of course, throughout this, we're getting interlaced brief shots of Maeve back in the Mesa being worked on. At this point, we see her laying on a gurney. Parts of her body are flayed open. Here, her neck is kind of opened up. She's hooked up to a tablet. I was kind of thinking, I wonder if they moved the episode titles around in sequence, if they shifted that later, because last episode was titled Laissez Corche, which was the flayed. And yet we didn't see a lot of direct symbology for that. And yet here in this episode, we actually see somebody being flayed. We see a lot of people being scalped later. It kind of seems to fit with this episode. Anyhow, Akichita says his path finally led him home to his old tribe where he found more of his family was replaced, including Wachapi's son. This is the elder woman he was speaking with. She realized something was wrong too. And the people changing them were the ones below as she refers to them. She says she hadn't seen them, but her people would tell the story. Some pray to be visited, others fear they'll not remember the way home and be left down below forever. 
This again is very reminiscent to humans and the way stories are told for us. I've never seen it, but I've heard my people talk about it. And we have some who are praying to it and want to be visited by it and others who are afraid of it. I mean, you can correlate that to so many things, seeing aliens, seeing God, the afterlife, so many things like that. We also know that there's going to be kind of even a religion built out of this later. When we opened up with Maeve starting to discover the truth, it was the men who would come in the hazmat suits, right? And That's right. And drag you back yeah. down. So all areas are going to kind of have their version, their way of telling that story when they see people that don't belong in their world. And later, when their loved ones are returned, something is different. They can't even put their finger on it because they don't know how they were before, but they can sense it. Now, emotionally, for some reason, it felt more emotional to see them looking at these other hosts that aren't the ones that they remember. For some reason, it hit home for me. But when you try to take a step back and you think about it, why are these hosts so determined or so much more emotionally stuck with the fact that the original one is the real one? That's the one I need, even though this one has the same narrative. They, they did the same thing with Clementine, the way... Dolores and Teddy look at the new Clementine. They don't even bother with her. Is it very similar to when we watch a remake of a movie and we're like, it's not the same. No, it's not it. No, hate it. Yeah, well, your first impressions are going to be the strongest, but I go back to, I think it's, for whatever reason, however this was programmed, their beta versions, the life they were living there, felt real to them. And they were able to hang on to that. That was the life they were supposed to be leading. And it was taken from them. So with you saying that, that makes me feel like Ford is a genius. Technically, he can do things that other entire teams of geniuses can't figure out. And I'm implying specifically to what they were trying to do with Delos. But Arnold was the finesse in the code. Arnold was the feeling in the code. He was the beauty behind the code. And that original code that is still in there because they just never bothered to wipe him out. That is what holds more precedence. Yeah, and I think what gave them something like humanity. Ford talks later how much he's going to struggle with that when he tries to recreate Bernard, but he feels he got closer to that with him than anyone else, and maybe just because it was Arnold. The original was Arnold. Perhaps he really was the true creator. And he also used one of Arnold's creation. Mm -hmm. From hearing her talk... That Akichita realizes finally how to find Kohana. He's looked everywhere except on the other side of death. Now he knows what he has to do, so he goes back and allows a guest to kill him. After dying and being taken to the Mesa, techs investigate him and are shocked to realize he hasn't been updated in almost a decade. Because as we said, they're only updated when they die. They call in their boss, who sees he was an Alpha 2. She orders them to update him and put him back in quietly. Well, because she'll get in trouble. More human error. It's a lot of just pushing it under the rug. You would think they should either decommission him or give him a full reboot because this is clearly a mistake, but she doesn't want anyone to find out. We see pulled up on the tablet when they're looking at him that his faction is Ghost Nation. His narrative is cowboy control. His hierarchy status is leadership. His default sector is 21, but where they found him was 23. And his reason for recall is postmortem aberrant behavior. They begin updating, but as it will take four hours, the techs leave for a break. More human error. <laughs> Akichita sneaks away to explore. 
this is where heart-shaped box plays. This is what I didn't understand. I thought he was turned off. So all those times we thought Maeve was turned off and she looked off. She was just listening and watching. I think kind of frozen. And we saw the first signs of that with Dolores, where the situations that William thought she was kind of shut. I meant Dolores, not Maeve. Sorry. Right. She was really taking in those things. We'll see it on the website later on where they go through the log of different video clips and it's all Dolores apparently frozen, but listening. So it it feels as if something similar is happening here. He's able to get up and go downstairs, somehow not be discovered, and somehow locate cold storage. I I don't want to get into the particulars of why that's wonky. (laughs) It's wonky, but I think... And no one was around. Where was any humans? Right. And we had said that a couple of times throughout this season, you know, when Bernard is walking around the Mesa and nobody sees him. I don't really know how to explain that yet, but he does manage to find all of the decommissioned hosts and he is heartbroken to see Koana is there, but isn't moving or responding. I mean, this has to be the most emotional moment of not only the episode, but the season and maybe the show. Absolutely. In one part, because that's his loved one right there, physically there and not responding, but also his awakening to the point that he's being selfish. Every single one of these hosts have a loved one or a memory that is looking for them or that is lost without them. They all have the same story and he's looking around. There's so many of them. I mean, first of all, it's his first true realization that they're all robots. Uh, I mean, like we said before, he's getting bits and pieces of it, but this is kind of the whole story just slapping him in the face including her. And then, as you said, the greater implications. He says, that was the moment I saw beyond myself. My pain was selfish because it was never only mine. For everyone in this place, there was someone who mourned their loss, even if they didn't know why. So he takes Wachapi's son, he takes the braid to bring it back to her. He returns upstairs to the tech room, vowing to close that door and open another, one that will keep them from their reach forever. He goes back to the camp, and tells Wachapi, we are all bound together, the living and the damned. From this point, he dedicated his life to sharing the symbol, starting with his own men. One of them asks him, you know, what does this mean? Because they drew it on the ground. Mm Mm-hmm. He's teaching it to them, and he says, it means you can see. You've seen it before. They took it from you. And at this point, the other man tells Akichida to hide it from them and offers him the knife. And this seems to be the beginning of where he starts carving it into the scalps. Yes, and this is something that is very important. Clatchers, you have to remember that we've seen these scalpings. The man in black was doing it in season one, and he would scalp someone, and there was the symbol. All of those are from Akichida. Mm-hmm. That's how integral Akichida is in this whole storyline. I don't know how he was getting those back on afterwards. <laughs> it's a little bit... Uh... Well, they're hosts. You can do it. Yeah, but how? He doesn't have the tech to repair once he takes a scalp off of somebody. And we know Scout he doesn't want them dying scales. because then they'll, you know, then they'll be brought back and wiped. Um, I don't know. He finds a way. But yeah, as you said, this is kind of the beginning of spreading it everywhere. He also wanted to help Maeve and her daughter to warn them. But he said, in this world, it's easy to misunderstand intentions. And not only that, someone else was watching too. So we see the shots of Maeve hiding in the house. The man in black coming, Maeve and the daughter going outside and being killed, falling right in the center of that Maeve maze. I think it's the one 
answer really that we still don't have. How does he tie into this story? We know there's a really important link between the man in black and what was happening here with Maeve and Ghost Nation, but it's not fully fleshed out for us. Uh, Kichita says he continued to spread this as the years passed. The numbers grew of the people waking up, and then one night he met the man who put them to sleep in the first place. This was the best scene. (laughs) Every time Ford's in it, right? He recalls discovering the scene one night. A circle of frozen Ghost Nation warriors stopped in the position of surrounding a bear. Floodlights lit up the area and Ford was sitting in the center, scalping one of them to reveal the maze. Well, he was scalping a bunch of them, but that, yeah, currently. When he walked up. Yeah. And Ford says, I could tell you not to be afraid, but I didn't build you to be fearful, did I? I've I've been been watching watching you. you. It appears you've been watching me as well, from the beginning. This is a misbegotten symbol, an idea that was meant to die, but you found it. Where? So whatever he may or may not have already been doing with the host, with his ideas, he did not know that Arnold's idea, the maze... Which should have been done with. A long time ago. That he tried to get rid of was somehow spreading, and Akichita was at the center of that all along. Even when he's finding out something, you feel like he's so in control. It's hilarious. I thought this was a brilliant scene. He paused his men in mid-fight, put spotlights on there so that he can do his work, and check to see. I'm guessing that he started finding these symbols in the scalps, and as he got closer and closer to Akichita, there was more hosts with it Mm -hmm. right ground zero they're more littered with those Mm -hmm. scalps and he this is ground zero for him and he's been putting it together for these nine ten years however long it's been at this point and once akichita divulges the rest of the storyline and i think he does know but he has to figure out fully where did it start he puts akichita into analysis mode he's Fighting the analysis mode, as McLaren will say in interviews later, he was trying to portray that he wasn't fully frozen. That was the direction he was given. But he answers, when the Deathbringer killed the creator. He tells Ford his primary drive has changed to spreading the truth, and he realized there are many worlds and they live in the wrong one. He wants to lead them to a door hidden in this place, to a new world that may contain everything they've lost. Ford thinks Akichita is a flower growing in the darkness, and the least he can do is offer some light. So beautiful. So whether or not he was kind of influencing things here up until now, he will be from that point on. He will be keeping an eye on him and trying to help, and he gives him a key piece of guidance. When the Deathbringer returns for me, you will know to gather your people and lead them to a new world. Keep watching, Akichita, for a while longer. So he does know at this point that Dolores is going to kill him. He's already putting together those plans, yeah. So this, I believe, happened during season one. We just didn't see it. And of course, he gets the final word, walking away like a badass. Basically, and once the Deathbringer comes for me... Find that door and leave? Lead them to a new world. So, you know, we've been saying that for a while now. Ford is inspired this revolution. We don't know where he intends them to take it. And we're saying we don't know if the door is literal, but in some way it must be literal 
if he thinks they're going to another world. I mean, he doesn't make it sound like death is the other world. You know, it's a big metaphor for something on the other side. He literally wants them to go somewhere. But Akichida finishes his story here, saying then that the Deathbringer returned. He found the aftermath of the gala, the massacre in town. He saw four dead. Again, the wolf we saw. And he tells Maeve, now it's time to find the door before the Deathbringer ends us all. They are now united. He was trying to tell her from last episode, we're on the same path. Don't yeah. fight me. But they, they actually are now. It felt so good in a show like this to actually be able to pe- put the pieces together. That exact scene, we were wondering, what, what did he mean by that when he said we were meant for the same place? What did he mean? And now we know exactly what he meant. He's got to work on his uh, explaining skills. <laughs> I mean, he did pretty well this episode, but you know, if you explained it to me at that point, maybe it would help. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not enough time. I'm joking, of course. So that payoff felt so good. Well, we're going to move into our last couple of scenes, which shift over to the present. Back in present day, Emily approaches the Ghost Nation camp, telling them she has no quarrel with them and only came for the man in black. He is a burden only I can bear. He's my father. Akichida replies with something odd. He says, then you know his sickness and the things he has done to spread it. We cannot let him continue. What does that mean? You know, we could speculate for hours and i am going to go into this later in our theorizing section but you did try to speculate it to me for hours the other night and i was like leave me alone i want to go to sleep (laughs) please shut up i just want you to keep those words in mind because they're going to be important Uh, when akichita says he wants the man to suffer emily assures him her way will be worse so they allow her to ride off with him slung over a horse. So is this in character with Akichira? Or is it the fact that everything he's been going through at this point, he's a little more open to the full story? Emily is his daughter. You know, the man in black is, is her people. He has his people to protect or, or do whatever he will with. I think he respects the bond that she has mm. of, of this is my family and I will punish or reward as I see fit. Basically, he just wants to hear the promise that it won't be spread further, whatever that means. He feels confident that that's the case. Meanwhile, Lee returns to find Maeve laying on the table in the mesa flayed open. He tearfully says he never meant for this to happen and she deserves better. She deserves her daughter to mother her, teach her, be joyful and proud. He takes her hand and apologizes. But then Roland enters and tells Lee he has to leave. Lee wonders what's going on here. You know, Roland was supposed to fix her. Just a precursor to Lee coming back and getting her. And Roland says the anomalous code inside of her was a valuable asset. They're still testing, but it looks promising. What happens to her next will be up to Charlotte Hale. Sure enough, in the next scene, Hale comes in and Roland shows her with every reset, a host code reaches out with the mesh network. They access it subconsciously to pass data to one another. But Maeve is passing more than that. She's sending commands. She's the only one to regain admin access. She was reprogramming hosts on the fly, reading their code, changing their directives, seeing through their eyes. What I thought was interesting about this, admin access is what comes up when you go to the Delos websites. And they ask you to log in. And thus far, I haven't been able to get anywhere. If you go to delosincorporated.com, It's really just the brief bit about James Delos and then the login on top, but nothing we enter will work. Last season, people figured out 
the black hat, white hat, violent delights. There were certain things that would bring you access into other areas. But also just the fact that Maeve seems to have gone beyond. We knew that she was with the ability to speak another host's mind, to communicate through the mesh network, to give them commands. This seems to be higher than that. She's gained admin access. It mm. seems like something, let's say, only Ford would be able to yeah, do. I agree. So Hale says she wasn't just doing it out there. She's doing it right now. And this is our cut to Akichida and realizing that he was talking to Maeve Ugh. the whole time. Love it. He tells her, we will guard your daughter as our own. If you stay alive, find us or die well. And she responds, take my heart when you go. The best response for Akichira, because she knows now how much meaning that has to him. And the fact that she knows that his daughter is really in the best hands in the park. Yeah, he will, her daughter. he will keep her safe. She will be one of them if anything should happen to Maeve. I love this ending. I do too. I also think it's very interesting to keep track of Maeve's powers, how she's doing what she's doing. I mean, we thought the mesh network could be down with seeing the cradle and a lot of control systems being taken down in the Mesa. I thought for sure that would mean something like major control and admin access would be down. I don't know if it's the fact that she's literally hooked up, you know, she's ported in mm. while they're doing that or not. But I am hoping that Charlotte Hale does not figure out how to do whatever she's doing before Maeve is able to get away because that will give her a serious edge in this situation. I got to tell you, this saved Maeve's storyline. Last episode, I was so upset. I felt like going to Shogun World really didn't have a payoff. Then her coming back to her old ranch and just getting taken over and then captured had no payoff. Like, what the hell? And this all now makes sense. Finally, the one thing she feared the most will now be her partner in this. And if she would have only listened <laughs> to Akichida instead of running from him, but... Yeah, we needed those episodes. We needed that time to build the understanding, the yes. relationships. There's so much more emotional payoff to an episode like this. Absolutely. For all of these characters. That takes us to our reverie rating. I mean, if you haven't guessed, we really liked the episode. But Jason, officially on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give it? Well, it's obvious it's my favorite episode so far. And I have to give this a 9.8 reveries. Oh my goodness. So many payoffs. The long burn with the Ghost Nation. The twists and turns with Maeve and Akichida. Akichida quickly climbing to one of my favorite hosts in this park. The fact that they managed to make the Man in Black even more mysterious. How? I did not see that happening. Yeah, they're just giving us these dribs and drabs so we cannot place him into the bigger story, right? But we have learned over the course of time when we're being kept from seeing those things, it means... Yeah. The answers are big and they'll be coming soon. I definitely agree. This was my favorite episode so far. I liked it in different ways. I'm not going to renege. I still loved Riddle of the Sphinx for those reasons. The twists and turns, the questions answered, the technological stuff happening. But we needed a moment to breathe. The beauty of the acting here, my emotional connection to the hosts and their storyline which I was afraid they were really going to lose me on that this season, and somehow they managed to pull it back. It all really worked for me. It emphasized that I don't have anyone like that on the human side, which I did think this season I would be building more of a connection and an empathy for human characters. Mm. So I'm a little upset about that, but this episode alone was amazing. I'm going to give it a 9.5. 
And that is your highest. Yes. The episode four I was just talking about was a 9.3. You talk about humans and no one you feel like that. Right away, I thought about Ford, and then I realized this season, they made Ford more of a godlike character. Mm, the mm. fact that he's no longer human, this is still his world. He's able to go wherever he wants. And what we see of him, these little segments are so impactful. He is the godlike character. We're seeing him the way hosts would see him. And now it's our favorite section where we talk about our clatchers and they get involved. But speaking of our clatchers, we wanted to give a big thank you to all the new Patreon members. We appreciate it so much. Our Patreon is growing, Chris. Unbelievably so. People are getting woke. They're spreading it through the Mesh <laughs> Network. They're finding out because we've had a lot of new people sign up. We had two new raffle winners. If you're not aware, we have been doing raffle giveaways over on Patreon for a while now. Every month, two people are selected, a new member for that month and an existing member, and they get a free item of CKC merchandise from our gear store. I mean, the merchandise isn't just for them. If you want to check it out, head over to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com, and go to the gear page. You can see all the amazing things we have, hats, t-shirts. We have a Westworld hashtag woke shirt there. And coffee mug, which I love. But even further, if you really enjoy what Christina and myself do with Westworld, we do that and more on our Patreon page. Depending on what tier you are, you can get access to movie reviews, bonus podcasts, and the Patreon-exclusive community chat boards. This month, we asked our Clatchers, we put up a poll in Patreon, what movie they want to see. Jurassic World, Fallen Kingdom, Deadpool 2, and Incredibles 2. Right now, Jurassic World is winning. I hope it wins. Me too. So once that poll is over, Christina and myself are going to go to the movies, do our homework, find out behind-the-scenes things that no one else knows about, and podcast about it just like this show give you details, break it down. And then also we have our bonus podcasts where we give you current news, current events, other shows we're watching, and then an informative section where we really get into the nitty gritty of really interesting things about life. We've just been covering something kind of relevant to Westworld, the future for our body, advancements that we're making, where movies are concerned. We cover a bunch of different genres. We've done scary movies like A Quiet Place, We've covered Maze Runner, the Doctor Who Christmas special. Harry Potter. The list goes on and on. It's building. It's over two days worth of content. Yeah, if you sign up now, you have access to all of that. There is a tier for everyone. So head over to coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the Patreon page, and check it out. Now on to our MVB, Most Valuable Being. Every week, we ask our Clatchers via Twitter, who is your most valuable being for this episode? And this week, via at CKC Podcast, we gave you Akichira, Maeve, Lee, and Ford. And coming in at... Ooh, <laughs> and coming in tied for fourth place is Lee. Now, we put Lee there because there's a semblance of the Lee that we know is there. We knew he wouldn't win this week, but we think he may at least get second place next truly episode. truly might bust out of there soon. And of course, he's tied with Maeve. At 5% as well. I mean, this was a great episode for her. It, we sh it showed her again getting stronger and stronger. She's super Saiyan at this point. but She's in so much danger, though. She's in danger, and also she was just the audience for Akichita's story in this particular episode. Yeah, she was like us listening to what was happening there. Coming in second place with 6% is Ford. I think a lot of things were thrown into question for him this episode, but... As you said, 
even when he doesn't know what's going on, it feels like he does. He has drop the mic moments, even when he doesn't know what's going on. (laughs) Yeah, I really loved his interactions here. Of course, we didn't see him that long, and nobody could possibly stack up in this week's running. Coming in at number one with 84% was Akichida himself. Highest percentage. That is the highest winner we have had for MVB this season. Coming in second, episode five, Akani no Mai, Maeve with 65%. And of course, besides voting, we encourage our Clatters to write into us for this episode. And we normally don't write back to you via Twitter because we're going to talk to you through the podcast. So Jar Jar Binks said, I think that Logan deserves honorable mention. Akichita's belief system was shaped in a major way by his encounter with Logan, so much so that he sought him out again. Meeting Logan was what led Akichita to the door. You could say Logan was the reason for the current narrative. Yeah, that's true. I am kind of hoping it's not the last time we see Logan, so I was afraid to give him an honorary, like, that would be it. I also don't think that was really intentional. Logan Uh was sunsick and going mad, but it is very cool to see how it all pulls back in together. And let's not forget, season one, we didn't really like him. He's kind of an asshole. Oh, yeah, he still is, (laughs) but in a way that's fun, too. At First Time Mom says, Ikichida is everything. Hands down MVB this week with Maeve at a close second. I teared up when Lee was apologizing to her. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of tearful moments. And Wes says, please, let's all start sending awards to at Zon McLaren for this incredible work in the episode. And his portrayal of Hanzi in Fargo season two was heartbreaking. Zach McLaren has been in so many things. Check out his IMDb page. I know, it's It's too long to even get into. Jar Jar wrote again saying, so glad we finally have a character to root for besides Maeve. I agree with you on that. Mm -hmm. This season, you know, we're not really rooting for Dolores. It's on purpose, but like she's kind of a villain at this moment. It's still hard as an audience. How do you connect if you're not connecting to anyone? Mm. And we've definitely been missing that. I love how they did that this episode. And Tara Sheik agrees, saying really was the best episode of Westworld to date. And Kirk is on board with that as well. Kirk also saying, gotta be Akichira. He was the connective tissue throughout the episode. Not to mention the vehicle for us to learn the answers to many open questions. Plus, I loved the reveal at the end that he was actually talking to Maeve during his Lakota narratives. Yes, we agree. Loved it, loved it, loved it. People are also still loving the Lee suspenders. No one pulls them off like he does. (laughs) Pity vote for Lee. No one pulls off suspenders like he does. You're right. Thank you, Oren. Well, Jason, that brings us to our MVB. Is it even a question? It is. I'm going to actually surprise you on this one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I'm going to go for Akichira. Uh, (laughs) I hate to. Yeah. I mean, we both are. I don't think we need to elaborate anymore. We've talked about how wonderful the character, the narrative, and the actor was. Before we go into our tinfoil hat moment, we have a few more comments from our Clatchers that I want to relay. And thank you, everyone, for your emails. We love those tremendously. SW wrote to us, at CKC Podcast, I think I missed the point of the whole episode. They never addressed why Ghost Nation collects humans, which is the only answer I wanted. So I think what we were seeing is what looked like they were collecting humans. But what they were doing is Akichira's original narrative in this new role was to conquer, to spread out and conquer and take over. And after his escapades, he did have to go back into his narrative, but it was different. Instead of conquering, he was going out and he was spreading the word. 
So when he did capture these hosts, instead of killing them straight up, most of them, some he just did kill and ravage. Uh, others, he would spread the word. He would try to make them woke. And he would end up scalping them and putting the maze in there. And with humans, I think, at least the scenes we were seeing, they were amongst the hosts that they captured. And once they captured them and brought them to the place they wanted to, and they realized they were humans, that's when they let them go. To us, it looked like they were collecting humans or they were something more to it. At least that's what I'm portraying after this episode. I think that could be correct. I'm also I'm also wondering about what Akichita said to Emily that the man in black was spreading a sickness and if he means amongst humans, hmm. if he's trying to keep the humans away from him, away from the valley beyond, I don't know, maybe shunting them somewhere so that that doesn't happen. I think we have to learn more about that. And I don't think it's on accident that they didn't address that here. That's a piece that they want dangling if it is in fact connected to him in some way. So I feel pretty confident they're going to come back to it. Michael wrote to us at CKC Podcast. So were the older hosts more susceptible to waking up or is it software related? And was Aki just good at surviving for so long or is he an old host as well? I guess I'm trying to figure out when they went from mechanical to synthetic. Yeah, I wrote back to say, definitely we hear that he is an older host. He's an Alpha 2 model, whatever that is, it's very old. I'm conjecturing that the susceptibility to waking up has to do with Arnold and what he put into them originally, what was allowed to stay within them even when they were updated. And I think that... Due to human laziness, yeah. Correct, or error in the system that they weren't updated until they died. I think that the majority of hosts went synthetic a lot earlier. The reason for Akichita not is just that he escaped capture for mm-hmm. nine years. I don't know when exactly in the timeline that happened, but it did seem to be pretty early on in the park history. And lastly, in regards to Clatchers, I want to give a big shout out to Sir Apricot, DML9F, Arlo93, Tab underscore 9000, and Esky89 for your lovely and beautiful reviews on iTunes. We so much appreciate it. Keep those coming. Those are our lifelines. The more reviews and downloads we get, the higher up on the top of the list ratings on iTunes we get, and hopefully the more ears we get, which hopefully will lead to more Clatchers. I just wanted to give you a quick update on the Westworld affiliated sites. After last week, it's it's frustrating. The updates from Aiden often come in right after we're done recording. Except for this week. Right. So, But last week, I didn't have them yet. And they gave us a short video explaining the cradle, which I think was <laughs> Nolan Enjoy's effort to kind of break it down if we didn't fully understand. One cool thing that I took, though, from that, Nolan talks about how they wanted it to feel like a nuclear reactor, not like a server room. He said, I've shot a lot of server rooms. They're really boring, really they noisy. They are. <laughs> trust me. And really cold. Yes, because they use air. Water is a much more efficient way to cool things, and there's something sort of creepy about this information being drowned or subsumed in water. So a lot of people have been talking about it. The host control units, the chestnuts that hold the pearls and sit inside the host brains, we saw when they pull them out, they're sitting in a water sort of liquid. I don't know if that's the same as the cortical fluid, but presumably to keep them cool. And so the parallel is being drawn. Whatever's in the valley beyond, if that's some sort of similar 
control unit's pearls information, was it drowned in order to save it, to keep it cool with the water as we see going on in other places. If you want to hear more about that, definitely check out the video. They give you a good visual of what it looks like. They talk about the pearls. There's a lot of good information. They also give you a fun, maybe, game to play. <laughs> it's so intensive and would take forever. <laughs> I don't see the point. If you go to Delos Destinations in Westworld, it shows you system down. You can either choose backup B, which just gives you that cradle offline thing we've been seeing, or the mesh network. And each time we've been clicking on that, something different comes up. This time, you have a picture of the brain that says, memory addresses dereferenced. You're prompted to look at each one of the memory video clips that come up as plus signs and put them in proper chronological order. There's 20 of them. Basically, you're the technician and you have to re-reference them. At Myth Girl actually wrote to us about this. Have you been doing this? Can't wait for the missing data. I just can't. I can't. We can't. I'm sorry. It's too time consuming. It's going to take so much time. And it's kind of what we've been seeing all season long where they're showing us the video clips as a way to keep the time frame organized. But we've pretty much organized it in the podcast, just not straight away. We have. And we were missing some of kind of where do a few things fit in from the past few episodes. Luckily, we mentioned last time the lovely folks at the Westworld subreddit have been keeping track of an amazing timeline of events, fully sorted. They have updated it now. Everything is in there. If you want to wrap your head around this, I feel like that's the best way to break down when things happened. They'll show you not only by year and chronological order through the timeline, but also what was in season one versus season two and what episode. It's really a lot of work has gone into that. So one more thing, as you mentioned, Aiden did give the update for this week early. Most of the things just took you to the synopsis for the episode or other videos. But back on Discover Westworld, you know, we've been getting the map of the park and following our host under tracking. Yeah, I'd say Maeve is here, Dolores is here. Now, Track the Adventure says, the outskirts of the park are vast and it can be easy to lose your way. Allow a visualization to illuminate. In dead center, we see the Deathbringer. That would be Dolores. Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> Top left, we see the door, so we get an actual idea of where in the park the valley beyond is located. It's beyond. Down bottom left is the maze, and bottom right are the ones down below. Hmm. So go ahead over and check that out on Discover Westworld. Achilles, relax. Well, this is it. This is where we briefly get into some tinfoil theories and the spoiler section. If you are afraid of any of that, we will see you next time when we review episode nine. Okay, Joshua wrote in to say, Finally, the question. My mind is still racing trying to fit together all the pieces that were revealed. Maybe it was obvious, but for the first time I got the sense the man in black is on a mission of redemption. I got the impression he does feel guilty about his influence on Juliet's suicide. This was after last episode. This kind of presented him with the reality of how meaningless his obsession was in the grand scheme of things. I'm thinking that's why he wanted things this way, to really mean something for the first time. Now he's trying to set things right in his own weird way by getting involved with the stakes raised so high. So we did say that's one possible interpretation. The man in black, William, is a human. He is on some sort of journey of redemption. Ford is trying to help him along. 
Although the more we learn about Ford, it does not feel like no. that's the case. And everyone else in the Man in Black storyline wants to see him punished and to get what's his. So we had wondered if Ford was sort of testing humans to see if they were fit for immortality, if they could in fact achieve a better state and right their wrongs. I'm still not totally taking that off the table. I just don't think it's as likely. However, if he is human, the sickness could be a moral one, a lack of empathy, spirituality. You know, we heard Akichita talking about him spreading it. It could be an actual physical sickness. However, how would that be spread to the host? So far as we know, the outside world has been cured of all physical illnesses, and it doesn't seem they would be able to spread that to hosts. We did get the weird reference a couple episodes ago to blue tongue being spread through the flies and continuing to see the flies in the park. I don't think that's a real physical connection there. Just something to throw out there. Moving along to the more popular theory that's been buzzing around the internet, and we haven't really brought it up yet. Buzzing? I thought we were off the flies. <laughs> but the bigger one is that he is, in fact, a human host. He is a hybrid. It would make sense. He's still surviving right now. He's an old man. If he was a human, shot that many times in the desert, he can't be living at this point, right? That's definitely one of the clues people point to. If you go all the way back to the 1973 original Westworld movie, the gunslinger was a host. Somebody wrote in to tell us last episode his hands were shaking, which we had missed. But in this episode, when he goes to speak, there is a point, and I was watching closely, where his mouth kind of looks like it could be doing a James Delos type of thing. So is that a glitch? We have the fact that he forgot about the elephants in the story with his daughter, which we had chalked up to bad parenting, being a bad absentee father. But yes, could potentially be a sign that he's not passing fidelity. And finally, the physical obstacles that he seems to be overcoming against all odds. I know that creates a lot of problems for people because they are looking for a human to connect with. I don't think that has to take that away. We're not saying he was a straight up host and has been the whole time. I don't think the show is doing that. They've had too many of those reveals. But if William was a human, we have been tracking his progress as a human. We have seen his journey. It's just that at some point later on, he became a human host and uploaded his consciousness. Perhaps he did not know that happened. This was done to him. He's running through one massive fidelity test by going through the game within the park. That would kind of make sense because the fact that the maze intrigued him so much in season one. And by the end, Ford is there to say, the maze isn't for you. And we were led to believe, because he's a human, the maze isn't for him. But he could have actually meant, the maze isn't for you because you're at a higher level. You're beyond the maze. You don't need to come to consciousness. By essence of the human host transfer, you've had a consciousness put mm -hmm. into you. It's already there. What you need to do is come to terms with reality. That's a whole different test that's the ultimate fidelity test because every time we've done it in the past and pushed reality on someone like james delos too soon it falls apart right so maybe the way the hosts needed to come to it on their own and go through the maze otherwise they thought the bicameral mind was hallucinations and they were going mad did mm -hmm. not work that way it had to be their own sort of search maybe it's the same thing for human hosts. With Ford this season saying, this game is for you, finding the door. And we've heard Ford say it to Akichita, 
this week saying, take your people to the new world. We could extrapolate and we can keep going. I mean, maybe there's a few hosts here that are actually real people. Maybe Akichira is someone real as well. There's all these different people that are real. And this is all inside of a computer. In the Valley Beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And so the Men in Black has to go through these steps of confronting difficult things from his past without getting that final step of you are a human host. It's happened until he's able to do all of that. They walk through the door and they wake up very similarly to Bernard waking up when he got out of the cradle and now they are actually living human hosts. Yeah, he said Dolores had to stay there with you for years until you finally fooled her. She had to check you in real life with the cradle uh, for fidelity. So this could be the equivalent for a human host getting checked yeah. for fidelity. Now, I feel like that works in a lot of ways. It doesn't detract from the human connection we know we formed with William. It does make sense that he's gone through so many different phases within the park from when he first saw it and Logan brought him here being completely taken with the idea of the hosts and they are real then finding out they're not, he's completely disillusioned and totally shuts off from that, telling Dolores she's just a thing, to maybe trying to make it more real, working on this project, this Protagoras project, where they try to upload consciousness with James Delos. He told him it wasn't ready yet to be patient, but Delos said he didn't have enough time, so they ran it too quick and it didn't work but they were building something else with which to capture that in the Valley Beyond. He later realizes, after going through so much with Delos, that was a mistake. We weren't meant to live forever, but it's too late. Mm. He already tried it with himself. Again, I don't know how that equates to a sickness spreading, but there's a lot of pieces falling into place that I felt we had to finally flesh it out here and talk about the theory. There's for sure something deeper with the man in black, and we believe this is on course with it. And I'm pretty confident that once it's revealed, pieces of this will be true. We probably don't have the whole scope. And if it's good writing, hopefully we don't have the whole scope. So it's just exciting and it's fun to sit with our clatchers by the water cooler and discuss it and try to figure it out. By the way, one more piece of information to bring into that. We mentioned that it was called the Protagoras Project. You know, we always have to bring it back to philosophy, mythology, psychology. Well, Protagoras was a Greek philosopher who is believed to have created a major controversy during ancient times through his statement, man is the measure of all things. This was interpreted to mean there are no absolute truths. It's only what we deem or perceive to be true that's real. And that was a revolutionary statement at the time. People did not believe in such a thing. So let's say you and I are sitting here in this room. I say it's really cold in here. You say it's really hot in here. It is really hot in here. (laughs) Which it is. But he would say there's no objective measure of the temperature in this room. We are both right because that's reality to each of us. There is no objective hot or cold in this room. It's whatever we think it is. That's our reality. Right. He also thought, however, that one person's viewpoint might be useful and one person's perception might be harmful. So if you started to get a little Dolores and said, you know what? I think that humans are bad and they all deserve to die. Let's go on a revolution and kill them. I probably shouldn't tell you, well, Jason, your viewpoint is valid and it's your reality. So that's 
what's true. So he believed this is why a sophist was there, to teach the student how to discriminate between the two, to teach them virtue. He believed that was something you could learn. Now, there's a lot of loose connections to how that could tie into this Valley Beyond, this project. I think we need some more answers on exactly what's going on there, but something to chew on while you think. And finally, we come to our spoiler section. We will talk about what we know for the next episode, episode nine. It's titled Vanishing Point. We went over how that means a point on a perspective drawing where the two-dimensional projections of parallel lines appear to converge. It creates the illusion of depth where there isn't actually any depth. If you're ever in a long hallway, take a moment to stop walking and just look down that hallway and see how the left wall and the right wall the further down it goes, it looks like almost if the hallway is long enough, those two points will touch each other. And that, converge. And that's how you... But we know that's not real. No. That's exactly what this is. Now, what that's going to mean for the episode, I don't know. The projections appearing to converge, is this the final converging of humans and hosts, of characters like Maven Dolores, of our storylines... Maybe all of that. We know that we're definitely going to get some more answers on the man in black. We open up the preview, seeing water overflowing the tub, that same scene that we saw when the man in black was thinking about Juliet's suicide. And we see that I was right. It's not blood. It was just the lighting. Yes, it appears to be true. We also see it dripping from a lantern in the room below. And I said it so confidently and condescendingly, only to you, not to the internet. It, well, I was being it condescending was, to you. <laughs> it wasn't that obvious. I heard a lot of arguments both ways, whether that was blood in the tub or not, and that changes how we think about the story we've been given. Of course. Yeah, I'm just being facetious. We also see that shot that we got with the entire season preview where the man in black holds the gun up to his head. Yeah. Ooh, is that when he realizes? Yeah, I don't know. We hear... Someone saying, tell me the truth, tell me one true thing. And then the man in black says, no one else sees it, this thing in me. Even I didn't see it at first. Then one day it was there, this stain, invisible to everyone except you. Hmm. And that goes back to the whole conversation we just had, a stain of morality and lack of empathy and whatever, or a stain of physical sickness, or a stain of something wrong inside of him. That is spreading yeah. somehow. So that's something we have to figure out. And just like last week when we looked at the preview for this week, very excited because I feel like one of the questions we've had for so long is going to be answered. Last week was, <clears throat> what's the real story with the Ghost Nation? And now we know. I think we're going to find out the real story with the man in black. Yeah, I think the creators know where we're going to be at at what point in watching this, right? These are the questions we really need answers to now. And thus, we get them next time around, or at least enough to keep us moving forward. And then, this is a totally ignorant comment, but I think that the last episode is going to be the answers to Bernard's story. I don't think his whole story, but as far as him waking up in episode one and finding out all these hosts are washed up in this newly formed lake. Half of them have virgin minds, and he blames himself. What does that all mean? I think we'll get that in the season finale. Well, we know that that episode, episode 10, is titled The Passenger. So in the beginning, we thought it was to do with Peter Abernathy, who is referred to as having the passenger file within his head. That could definitely be a part of it. We could have dual meanings here. It's Ford. But we also know now that Ford is a passenger with inside 
Bernard's brain. Um, does that struggle come to fruition, him staying in, getting out of Bernard, whatever happens to him next? I think we're going to see all of that in the finale. And Michael on Twitter had a very good comment about that, and we didn't have time to discuss it, but thank you for that tweet. We really do appreciate that. And I think you are narrowing it down to a really correct theory. So that wraps up the Ghost Nation. That was a great episode. Hopefully we didn't go too long. There was so much to discuss and divulge. I want to remind our Clatchers, if you're doing your shopping, go to our website, coffeeclatchcrew.com first. Click on the Amazon link and do your shopping. They don't charge you more. They just give us a little bit more money. So make sure Delos, a big company like Delos, gives the little people like Christina and myself a little bit of money for the things you buy. We also want to remind you, if you're looking for a personalized gift to give to somebody, something that will bring your stories, feelings, and memories to life through one-of-a-kind songs, check out Songfinch. You can develop your own personalized song starting at $99 and delivered within seven days that you can use for any occasions, weddings, anniversaries, birthdays, Christmas, or just to tell somebody you love them and give them a special kind of gift. Use real-life memories, very detailed memories. The first time I met you, the first time we kissed, or for a child, the first time I held you. You could even make it a Westworld song. It's really up to you. You choose the genre, you choose the topic, and in seven days, Songfinch has a radio-ready song for you. And this song will live on a personal URL, your story homepage, where you can listen and download, read the lyrics, learn about your songwriter, and share it with others. Best of all, they are offering our listeners $20 off your personalized song from scratch. So head on over to songfinch.com and use promo code CLATCHERS. That's promo code CLATCHERS for $20 off your personalized song from scratch. Till next week, this round's on me. This round is on me! Please hang up and try again.